all year we're focusing on learning the way of Jesus, and that means that all year we're trying to answer the question, if the gospel is true, how then should we live? We're focusing on our behavior, our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our deeds, all of these, these things. So we just finished working through a very famous teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew's Gospel. We spent uh, three months working through the Sermon on the Mount, which is honestly one of the more influential teachings of anyone anywhere in the history of the world. Um, that's the power of Jesus, frankly. But before we start a new sermon series, before we start our new series next week, which is called Redeeming Regular Life, uh, I, I just want to do a little epilogue here at the end of the Sermon on the Mount series. And the reason is, is because there's a fundamental danger in listening and trying to obey the teaching of Jesus. Danger? Oh yes. It's not only the temptation to ignore his teaching, although that temptation is always there. Disobedience is the ditch on one side of the narrow way of following Jesus. And of course, that is a problem. It's a problem for all of us at times in our life where we know what's right or we know what's wrong and we fail to do what's right or we fully wholeheartedly embrace doing something that is wrong. So that is true and the way of Jesus is hard and sometimes painful. It's certainly tempting to ignore the bits we don't like or are particularly difficult, but that's not the only problem. There's a ditch on the other side of the road there's a trap that many people fall into in trying to obey the teaching of Jesus or, or really in just trying to do anything for God. And the problem or the trap is confusing the Christian life with the way of salvation. To forget that we are saved by grace through faith and not by our obedience or our righteousness or our works. So before we have yet another in a series of sermons on how we are to live in light of the gospel, we need to revisit faith and works and just make sure that we get the order right. Because, and this is why this is so important for us this morning, if we get this wrong, if we get the order wrong, or we believe that the gospel is something other than faith and then works, uh, we may, it is possible that we've never understood or believed the gospel to begin with. And this is a great danger. So, without further ado, let it, let's jump into our scripture reading for today, which is found in Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 1. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to Ephesians chapter one, 2, starting with verse 1. And we will read through this text together, and then we will unpack it as we go. This is an important foundational text for us as Christians today. Ephesians 2, starting with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, 
who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us in him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word. So uh, what are we reading here? Well, the book of Ephesians in the Bible is an epistle or a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in and around the city of Ephesus in the modern country of Turkey. Now, Paul had spent more time in Ephesus than anywhere else in his travels around the Roman Empire as a missionary in the first century AD. He spent years there. And his typical approach was to come into a city and start preaching the gospel. And if anybody listened, then he would continue to help them learn how to become a disciple of Jesus. He would plant churches, appoint leaders, and then keep on cruising down the road and do the same thing at the next town. And that was his typical MO. However, he would often write back to his brothers and sisters in Christ later because inevitably there were questions, there were problems, there was confusion about the gospel and so forth. That's what happens when you, you give people an introduction to the Christian faith and then leave. There's problems. So he writes back, thankfully for us, now we have most of the New Testament in the Bible. Well, Paul normally would address some of these specific issues or questions, confusion about the gospel in a particular church. And in other uh, letters, I think of the letters to the Corinthian church, there were all sorts of issues that they were dealing with that he would address. But here, the letter to the Ephesian church was meant to be more general. It was meant to be shared with other churches uh, in the region and, and down through the ages, as it turns out, by the wisdom of God. But Paul wrote to encourage these brothers and sisters, his friends, men and women in, in their faith in Jesus. He, he wrote to clarify the gospel. So the beginning of the book of Ephesians, or the letter, is all about what the gospel is. And then the second half, as is true of most of his letters, is more about the implications of the gospel or what the gospel does. And so, in this passage, Paul reminds these Christian brothers and sisters of four things. Number one, their past condition. Number two, God's gracious solution. Number three, their future purpose. And number four, their present calling in light of all of that. Okay, so we're going to start back with verse one and look at their past condition. Look back at verse one. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So I confess, as we pause here, 
Um, this passage really could be its own sermon series, and there's a sort of preaching wisdom of never preaching a sermon that should be a series. I'm just going to ignore that wisdom today. So we're getting just a 30,000-foot overview of this text, okay? It's rich, it's deep, and we're just going to have a snack as we go through. Okay, so first, we have the past condition of these Christians. Please forgive me in advance is what I'm saying, okay? Now, what were they before they were Christians, Well, Paul says they were dead in their transgressions and sins. So the word transgressions implies crossing a boundary or crossing a barrier that ought not be crossed. And the word sin is a word that comes from archery that implies missing the mark or falling short of your intended goal. Now, both of these terms together are common terms in the Bible to talk about our main problem in life which is failing to do God's will, God's way. Now, this can include gross sins, terrible sins. It can also include little daily things that no one seems to notice that just fall short of God's purposes or intent for us, his people. So Paul gives three causes for this evil in the world. He says it's the world, the devil, and the flesh. You might have heard that saying before as generally the world, the flesh, and the devil, Um, but that's not exactly the order here in Ephesians 2. The flesh includes our sinful nature. The devil um, is referring to the spiritual forces of darkness, which have a temporary influence and control on this world and its culture, and then the world, just the way that a broken world works in light of the fall to sin and death. Now, the bad news is that it is necessary to understand the bad news before the good news of the gospel makes sense. It doesn't make any sense that God would be doing something about sin in the world unless you understand that that's actually the main problem, the root problem. And also that this problem of sin, these transgressions, are not only found within, but they're also found without. So in other words, Christianity would say that the main problem of the world is found both out there And in here, we live in a world that is marred by sin and everything and everyone to some degree is affected by sin. Now, I don't know anybody in or outside the church, all of the people that I grew up with, people I rub shoulders with every day out in the world that you do too, I don't know anybody out there who would disagree with the belief that this world is a mess. And we, to some major degrees, are also a mess. That is not controversial. Even a a secular humanist does not believe that we currently live in some sort of utopia. Now, we might disagree about what the problem is and therefore what the solution might be, but we can agree that this is obviously not heaven. So according to the Apostle Paul and all the apostles, frankly, the result of this past condition is twofold. First, spiritual deadness, and second, judgment. That is the wrath of God. Did you notice this unusual phrase? You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. You were dead when you were alive. (laughs) What? Well, obviously, Paul must not be talking about physical life and death for both of these descriptions. According, According to the whole Bible, Eventually, it is our spiritual death that results in our physical death. 
But then the final and terrifying result of this past condition is wrath, it's judgment, it's that we will stand before God and give an account of our lives and the mess that they were. Paul doesn't leave anybody out of this condition. He says, all of us, including himself, including the Jewish people, Jew and Gentile, like the rest, we, he, he writes, were by nature deserving of wrath. Jew, Gentile, no one is exempt. Man, woman, child, young, old, slave, free, everybody is in the same sinking ship. We all have a problem with sin and death. But God is holy and righteous and he wouldn't be just if he just let all the evil and wickedness of this world slide. In fact, he'd be a monster. So what can we do? What can we do to be saved from the power of sin and death? People ask that question of Jesus. They ask that question of the apostles. What must I do to be saved? When we are honest with ourselves and thinking about the record of our lives, eventually that's the honest question that we come to. What can I do? Well, this past condition required a solution. But how would we, people, in the bondage, enslaved to the system of the world, influenced, tossed about by the influence of spiritual forces of evil, and under the powerful desires of our flesh, how would we be able to find freedom? What could we do as spiritually dead people to make ourselves alive? Let's keep going in with verse four. Here's the good news. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So first we had this past condition, and this wasn't only for the Ephesian Christians. This is, this is the condition of the whole world apart from Christ. But now here we have the gracious solution. Though they were dead in their transgressions and sins, though they were enslaved in a kingdom of darkness, though they were deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God did something. He set in motion a rescue plan. He intervened. Now it's important to see why. Why would God do this? Because God is not only holy, righteous, and just, but he is also love. He is rich in mercy. He lavishes grace. Therefore, God made us alive with Christ. We didn't make ourselves alive. Remember, dead people can't give life. Paul repeats, even when we were dead in transgressions. So Christian salvation is a miracle. It's a gift of God. This is why Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved. Grace is a gift, not a paycheck. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God. Grace is not a payment that you earn by your good deeds or even your potential for doing good things for God. The gospel, which means good news, 
always includes both the past condition and the gracious solution of what God has done through his son Jesus. Jesus gave his own life on the cross, why? Well, to satisfy the wrath of God against sin and to atone or pay the price for our sins so that we might be able to be forgiven and freed from the power of sin and God remain just. But Jesus also rose from the dead, again, why? So that he would break the power of death for us, but also because he had earned life by his own righteousness. So in this way, when we put our faith in Jesus, we are united with him, both in his death and his resurrection. We are no longer spiritually dead, we're born again. And we're no longer held in the bondage of this world We're no longer controlled by the flesh or we no longer have to be influenced by the devil. We are a new creation. More so, we are the righteousness of Christ. But this past condition and this saving work of God in providing a gracious solution result in a wonderful future purpose. Look again at verse six. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so through our union with Christ by faith, we are united with him in his present state as the risen and triumphant king of heaven. Though we are still, in one sense, part of the, this kingdom of darkness, this broken world, we are actually no longer citizens here. We are pilgrims making our way to a new land. We are citizens of another kingdom, which is the kingdom of God. But in this new resurrection reality, we have before us a future purpose that in the coming ages, God might show or reveal the incomparable riches of his grace. How? By having us, simple men and women, most of us having a relatively unremarkable background, just normal people, to become the crowning masterpiece in the gallery of God's grace. A work of marvel for the angels and any other worlds of God's creation. How? Because each one of us can point back to the time when God expressed his infinite kindness and goodness and love to us in Christ. When the author of life laid down his life so that we might gain life. When the judge stepped down off his judgment seat to serve our sentence and set us free, our past condition was met with God's gracious solution, which will become the song of praise for all eternity. This is God's future purpose for you in Christ, to be a testimony to his glory. This whole grand story of rescue and redemption in Jesus is summarized basically in verse eight and nine. Look at that. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So in light of our past condition, and the gracious solution that God has provided for, not just the Ephesians, but for all today who would call on the name of the Lord, it is by grace that we have been saved. Again, to be clear, our salvation is a gift of God to us, not something that we have earned or have to earn in order to make God love us or accept us or bless us. Not by works, Paul says. If our salvation was something that we earned, then in some way we'd be able to take part of the credit. And that doesn't work for us in our flesh. We're too good at taking the credit already. We'd be able to boast in our righteousness, in our spiritual life. Even if God did 95%, we did 5%. Boy, we'd talk a lot about that 5%. But that's not the gospel. We have been saved by grace through faith. This means salvation comes from hearing the good news about who God is and what he has done through his son. And in light of our present condition, we believe that it's true. We believe that Jesus died for us because we were dead and we couldn't give ourselves life. We believe that he rose from the dead and reigns and rules today as the Lord and Savior of our lives. And if that's true, then he gets all the credit all the worship songs should be about him. All the boasting in our lives should point to heaven. He gets the glory, honor, and praise. However, in light of the good news of the gospel, there is a present calling for us in Christ, which is found in verse 10. We who have been made alive with Christ, we who have been raised with him, we who have been born again, we who have believed the gospel and have received the gift of God's grace, we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now this speaks to what we have been saved for. We have a future purpose which is to be a testimony to the incomparable riches of the grace of God. But we also have a present calling to do good works, to follow a new way, which is the way of Jesus, to be salt and light in this broken world, to, to serve and to love and to give and to worship and to forgive and to pray and to sing and to share all in Jesus' name. Simply, our calling is to love God and love people. Now, on the one hand, this will seem subversive and so countercultural in a world that is spiritually dead and under the influence of the evil one who seeks to divide and discourage and destroy. But on the other hand, it is the way that God intended for everyone and the whole of creation to work. It is the most supernaturally natural way to live. Now, it might seem weird or unexpected as we saw in our last series, in the last few months, but the way of Jesus is the only way that leads to life and joy and peace, truly and lasting. In fact, these works of love are what God has always planned for his children. 
These are the works that he had prepared in advance for us to do. But what do we do with this whole sweeping story, this whole narrative of salvation which covers all of human history and on into our eternal future? Is there a way to apply this amazing story in some simple way for our lives today? Well, in many ways, as I often say, we'll spend the whole rest of our lives, and I think even in light of what Paul is saying here, the rest of eternity marveling at this story and what God has done in and through our lives by his Son and Spirit. But for today, I just want to simply draw our attention to the order of the story. And again, we've got to get the order right or we might tragically misunderstand the gospel. The way of salvation for us is all about faith, of hearing and believing what God has already accomplished for us in Christ. Faith in Jesus, both in believing the news about what he has done and in actively trusting him moment by moment as we live our lives, that is what it means to become a Christian. But what then is the rest of the Christian life about? Well, in many ways, it's about getting out there and doing these good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. It's about being salt and being light. It's about speaking the truth in love. It's about doing justice and caring for those in need. It's about being faithful and growing in our godly character and love. The Christian life takes work. It takes work to do good works. However, we must remember, it's so vital for us to remember that the good works that we do in Christ are not to earn or pay for our salvation. Salvation is by grace. It's a gift forever. Not only do we need to get the order right of faith and works to become a Christian, but we must, friends, keep the order right in our minds, in our hearts, and our imaginations as we walk along this narrow path. If we fail to get the order right, in other words, if we're really trying hard to do good works, but we confuse the issue of the Christian life and the way of salvation, we fall into the ditch that robs us of so much power and peace that God offers us by his word and his spirit. What does that mean? Well, I do believe that it is possible to be a Christian, to be a true Christian, and still fall off the path or stumble into the ditch, back into the mindset of works righteousness and self-salvation. Now, this mindset disconnects us from the true power source of God to do good works. Why? Because for the Christian, good works should only result in more boasting in God more glory for God. He gets the credit and we get just the joy and the amazing purpose and fulfillment and meaning of living out our unique created purpose. And very often others benefit as well. You know, a great benefit of loving your neighbor is that your neighbor often benefits as well. So done rightly, good works result in God's glory, our joy, and the good of all people. 
That's how it should work. But it doesn't always work that way. What happens when we get the order wrong? Well, then our good works, and I think very often, whether we're fully aware of it or not, very often not, we fall back into the pattern of the flesh in earning our way before God. Our good works then become evidence that God was right in saving us. See? This results in two bad outcomes. First, we will be prideful if we are able to meet our own expectations for what it means to be a good person. This is the Christian that seems to look down their noses in judgment toward other people who do not have their act together as much or who struggle, frankly, with different sins than they'd struggle with. This is more of a, a pharisaical mindset, like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 who prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. People who don't attend church as often as I do or give as much as I give or who don't have their theology or their politics or their money or their family as figured out as I do. I thank you that I'm not like that. Now this is all a result of pride. But the other bad outcome isn't any better. It's the Christian who is crushed with guilt and shame because they don't live up to their own expectations for what it means to be a good person. They know that they don't measure up. They know that they are a failure. When they look at their failings, they don't look back to the grace of God. They look down, crushed in despair. My friends, that is not the life that Jesus died to give you. Paul writes elsewhere, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's okay for the Christian to receive healthy conviction over sin that is still present in this age, but it is not okay to be crushed by it. But when we get the order right, then faith naturally leads to works because the grace of God is so sweet that we want to obey. We want to change. We want to do what is right and speak the truth and so forth. But the very context for our attempted good works is one of unconditional love and unconditional acceptance already by God our Father. Our foundation, in other words, in a relationship with God, according to the gospel, is rock solid in Christ. It wasn't ours to earn, it isn't ours to lose. So if we try and do something good for our neighbor as a sacrifice of worship for God, and it goes well, you know, maybe because they really needed help and we actually did something that was helpful for them, and they appreciated that, praise God. We can boast all the more in Christ and receive the joy that, come, that comes knowing that you are doing God's will God's way. But if it doesn't go well, for whatever reason, you loved your neighbor and they just hated you back, or you loved your neighbor, you tried, and you weren't really that helpful, and you kind of made a mess of it yourself, even though your intentions were good, if it doesn't go well, and you find yourself sitting down in the dust on the road, get back up again, laugh at yourself a little bit in an appropriate way, dust yourself off, and keep going. 
Keep taking one step after another in the way of Jesus because you know that your imperfection, flaws and failures, do not jeopardize your relationship with God or your salvation or your future purpose or your present calling even for one millisecond. You are safe. You are secure. You are in Christ both now and forevermore. So relax and laugh. You think the Holy Spirit doesn't laugh at us when we're weird or awkward or make mistakes? I'm sure he does, not at us, but with us. What was that? Don't say that again. These are the conversations I have in prayer with the Lord. So praise God and let's get after it. There is so much work to do for the glory of God and for our joy and the good of all people. The world is a mess and we can do something about it. But we don't have to do something about it in order to appease the gods. And we don't have to do something about it to divert the wrath of God. We don't have to do something about it in order to create our own identity or our purpose. We don't have to be frantic. We don't have to be crushed. We don't have to be prideful. We can just live and serve to the glory of God and enjoy the Christian life. This is the Christian life. This is faith and then works. This is the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, thank you that you are gracious and merciful to us. We're a mess. We're sinful. We have problems left and right. But you are kind and you are patient and you are forgiving and you have made a way for us to be forgiven and freed and receive life and life abundant through your son Jesus. Father, I pray we would never forget that and we would never mix up the order of faith and then works. And provided, Lord, that we've got the order right, I pray for help. I pray for wisdom. I pray for strength and courage and discernment and understanding how we can do these good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do. Lord, would you help us to see the works that you want us to do in this world? Would you help us to do those works, not for our glory, but for yours, for our joy and just the betterment of the people around us? Oh, Lord God, what, what a high calling. What amazing good news. May we never forget it. As long as we live, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand.